Entrepreneurs often have similar characteristics. Energy, passion, vision. But why do some soar to success while others struggle to climb? Less than 2% of women-owned businesses in North America ever achieve a million dollars a year in annual revenue. Why is that? And how do we dramatically increase that number? Welcome to Breakthrough with your host, Sarah Roach-Lewis. Sarah offers conversations with the ambitious women entrepreneurs in that 2% to help you break through. Now, here is Sarah Roach-Lewis. Well, hello, ambitious one. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Breakthrough. Perhaps you have a bold ambition or an emerging desire to hit the million-dollar mark and beyond in your business. You may be well on your way or just starting out. Regardless, this show is for you. I want to welcome Catherine Fleischman to the show today. Catherine is the founder and CEO of Dutel PR, a, bo- a boutique PR firm based in Miami, Florida. Welcome to Breakthrough, Catherine. Thank you for having me. Well, tell me um, a little bit more about Dutel PR and about your entrepreneurial journey. How did you get here? So it's been a long journey. It's been 10 years. And I started in New York at NYU University getting a master's degree in PR. Um, I really loved it. I, I really enjoyed everything that had to do with working with different types of clients, going to events, networking, and getting press for, for the clients. So um, I started with a few networking events. And then um, my first event was with a artist who had a full line of, actually, she used lipstick for her paintings. So her name was Eileen Hickey Hume. She was my first client ever, and this was a decade ago. And um, I was able to secure the New York Times uh, for her at her gallery. And then she told some other female entrepreneurs about my work, and then just the word just spread. And, you know, I had the business background, but I really didn't have any sort of idea that I was building my own business as it was happening. Um, When I moved back to Miami two years later, I pretty much had to get an LLC, you know, open QuickBooks. It was just a very natural process for me. And now I'm based here in Miami. So tell me a little bit about your firm. Um, You call it a boutique firm. And where, where is your focus with the PR that you do? So I started in fashion. Fashion has always been a passion of mine. I interned for Teen Vogue for a few years, so I had a lot of background in fashion. Um, But ever since I've been back in Miami, it's been more on the consumer goods side. I even have some clients that are on the medical side, like a CBD pharma company. Um, There's also hospitality, our our basil, food and wine. Um, So I have a little bit of everything and um, it's super fun because every day is totally different. Isn't that amazing, eh? When you can kind of create your own reality that way. So when you think, tell me about some of those challenges that you faced in the early years of growing your firm. I think the biggest challenge was dealing with a a workforce, so dealing with employees. Um, When you have employees, it's it's always a challenge because, you know, you have to take in their problems just as you would your own and be patient with them if you're training them, you know, just being there hands-on and having that patience to really just for them to learn what you know. Um, and, and it could be frustrating sometimes. So for me, I think that was the hardest part of, of, you know, the growing pains of my business. And so how are you able to manage that as you grew your business? So I pretty much hired a VP person and that person was the one that trained since I knew that my strength was more on the side of, 
you know, just kind of overseeing and delegating. Um, the VP was more on the, of the lines of training people and, you know, getting them up to speed and handing over the accounts and things like that. Okay, fair enough. And so when you look back on those early years um, and you think about what is it that you wish you knew when you started that you know now? Um, I think that I, I, through this process, have become aware that being remote these days is actually really a lot easier and a lot of people are moving towards that trend. If I could have, you know, started that way from the beginning, I would have loved to, but, you know, I had a whole fancy office and, you know, phone lines and everything, but, you know, times change. And I feel like now, um, being an entrepreneur is a lot easier with social media and digital marketing on the rise. I think it's, it's possible to start your own business even easier than it was a decade ago. Mm, Yeah, really. And, and so, uh, have you evolved then? Do you do more because you're, you're, you're in Miami now? So do you do more of remote work than you did say when you started out? Yes, definitely. I do a lot more remote work than I did before. Um, and it's, it's also because the PR firms that I work with on the back end may hire me. It's not just a client anymore. So whereas I may have taken a, you know, a consumer product as a client, I now also freelance for other PR firms that need an extra hand or want me on the back end or need some extra press for their clients. So I actually think I have more of that now than actual clients. Like I may have like five clients and then, you know, seven PR firms that I work with, which is, which has been an interesting change. So tell me a little bit about that. Um, What inspired that change and how did you decide to go down that particular path? Um, I felt that it was a lot easier than just having a client when you have a team of people that are working towards the same goal and you don't have employees. It's kind of like you get that, you know, feeling of, of brainstorming together, uh, going back and forth on ideas. Maybe I think of something that you didn't think of in the industry. Bouncing off ideas is one of the, the best ways to be creative in PR. So I felt that working with a team of people as opposed to just freelancing for clients themselves was really helpful for the client and for the PR firm too. Hmm, interesting. So, you know, I think it's really fascinating to have these kinds of conversations because at the end of the day, everyone starts out in the same place of that, you know, zero revenues and needing to grow and build a business. And like you say, uh, you know, it's interesting that sometimes we start out with this without even really that realization of, oh, I'm growing a business. So along that path, were there kind of particular moments or spaces in time where you thought, oh, I need to level up. What is that, you know, what were those things that you needed to do to really grow your business the way that you wanted to? I think that the first challenge in my business was the rise of social media. And I personally was not very much into Instagram or Facebook or any of the channels. And um, LinkedIn is also another good one. But um, I had to learn. It was a learning curve for me. I saw that the girls who were a decade younger than me had it, you know, down pat and I was kind of lacking and really, you know, instead of being in a magazine these days, people prefer to have a shout out by an influencer with 20 million followers. So I had to really build those relationships on the other end with the digital influencers and learn how to post, you know, filters and hashtags and scheduling posts. And I, I had to do a lot of reading to really understand how to maximize this social media growth 
for my clients. So that was a big learning curve for me in the past. Yeah. Wow. I mean, social media, how much that has changed. When you think about 10 years ago, I like many people love looking at my Facebook memories every, every day. And, you know, 10 years ago, we weren't even really posting pictures because who had phones with, with cameras on them. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it, it is really wild. So, um, I'd love to hear from you a time when you felt like you were experiencing a failure. What did you do? And then how did that show up as a win later on? Hmm. Well, um, I remember one client of mine had a hair extension line. And I, this was very early on in my business. And um, now what I learned from it is to be very adamant about what type of clients you take on. So pretty much I made the mistake of not trying the product before before pitching it. And, you know, it was the first year of my business. I was getting all these sample requests from, you know, everything from Ebony Magazine to Essence to, you know, Today Show. And when it came time for the client to send the samples, um, the the product was just not there. And um, so I worked with the client. I kind of backtracked and worked with them to fix the issue that they had. It actually wasn't such a big deal because they use like a little like net kind of thing, a little fish line for the hair. And it just needed some adjustments, but usually that wouldn't be in my forte to help a client in that way. And I, and it turned into a win because I actually, you know, am one of the customers that actually uses their product now. And, you know, I fit the demographic. So I actually had some ideas for her on how to expand that fishnet for people with, you know, bigger, or smaller heads. Obviously it's easier to adjust. And the product was a total hit. I mean, she was on the Today Show, Good Morning America. And, you know, I went back to them. I apologized. I, you know, I took responsibility for the issue and, um, and, and they were okay with it. And when the product, you know, ended up being a, an amazing product, they, they were totally happy that we had gone back and been honest and really just worked on the product and, and got it back to them in the way it should have been. So amazing eh? that when you start out and you're doing PR, who imagines that you're actually then helping refine a product along the way? Yeah, you do a lot of things that you didn't really know you were signing up for, but you have to be a, a person of many hats and be able to jump in and do what needs to be done for the client to be happy. So how did that show up um, now? You know, that was in your early years. And certainly, we all have that experience in our early years of, of taking clients because we, you know, we were in that hustle mode. What do you do now to ensure that your clients are the kind of clients that you want that maybe you didn't that, that you learned how to to vet them over the years? So I always start with a kind of like an interview process with my clients. Do you have high-res images? Is the product ready? Is your website ready? Basic things that, you know, are, are essential for a business to promote themselves. Um, and then I also, if it's a sample situation where it's a product, I ask for a, a actual sample request or a sample product of whatever it is. That way, if I feel that it's not a fit for me you know, I'm not passionate about the product. I don't waste anybody's time because honestly, as a publicist, the number one thing is really to be honest about who you're pitching and do you like what you're pitching and do you want to write about it all day? Do you want to, you know, go through with, you know, contacting editors and working with that product in, in many different ways. So, um, so yeah, I definitely have like a stringent um, plan as, as, as I move forward with my clients before even, 
signing them on. Mm, yeah, fair enough. So Kat, tell me what your, what does a day look like in your life? It's always different. The life of a publicist is very, very different. There are pressing deadlines. So in the morning, I like to really refine my, my contact lists of who I'm contacting and who I'm pitching. So whether it's like a fashion list, a beauty list, I'm always refreshing that. Um, and then I already have, like from the night before, I'll already have the pitches ready to go. So I usually like to do my writing later on in the day because in the morning I like to pitch because that's when editors are most active, responding to emails, getting their coffee and just like typing away. Um, then they all go on their lunch breaks and it's like, okay, like noon to one is like when I kind of like follow up with the pitches that I already have sent out and really send them a nice email back and really just track every single response that I get. Um, and then towards the end of the day, it's like when you want to just hang out and just write and write and write. And that for me, that's kind of like my flow is really just writing at the end of the day, like winding down. And then once again, getting the pitches ready for the next day. And um, any client calls, I usually like to take at the end of the day when everybody's like not busy and can focus on having a, a phone conversation. Um, and those are usually strategy calls, reports, and, um, you know, client client recaps and things of that nature. Mm, fair enough. So just when you say that in terms of reports and strategy calls, what does it look like? Because I'm sure that this, again, has changed dramatically in the 10 years that, you're, that you've done this. So what does that communication with clients look like now as compared to, say, in, in your early years? So yeah, a lot has changed in terms of like if there are influencers or digital, you know, hits that are not necessarily a website, it might be Instagram or Facebook. I always like to look into how many viewers that person has, what their profile demographic is. That way in the report, the client can just see all of the information um, in front of them and not have to do any of their own searching. It's kind of like laid out for them as opposed to just saying, here you got, you know, here's a clipping of Elle magazine. It's not really like that anymore. So you kind of have to send, a, not just send a link, but like send a full profile and, you know, information on who, who wrote about them and, you know, how many viewers they have and, and who their readers are. So. Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, what do you see as your greatest strengths in your business? And where are those areas where you feel like you still need to grow? I think my strengths are getting results for the client or the, uh, the PR company. Um, I think that at the end of the day, the clients only see one thing and that's results and they want to see results. Like, you can put together the most beautiful strategy proposal in the world, but it do doesn't mean anything if you can't deliver. So I'd say that my results are, are my strengths. And then things I need to work on, I think maybe a little bit of the orga organizational side internally, um, just having, you know, files organized in the right place. Sometimes I, I work so quickly that, you know, I just search recent documents or recent, you know, pictures and send them, but it'd be nice to have everything in folders and, you know, it's something I need to work on. Sure. Fair enough. So when, when you talk about getting those results, what is the key to getting those results? Because at the end of the day, that's what any client wants, regardless of, of your industry. I think the way that you get results is really a couple of factors. It's the timing of when you're pitching something. It's 
how how are you writing it? Are you are you do you have a news hook? Do you have something newsworthy that just happened that may relate to your client? Is it a seasonal guide? Is it something that people will care about? Um, and then obviously like making the actual visual presentation of it all look nice. I always put pictures in my pitches, like not large files, but you know, smaller ones so they can like see if it's a product, like what does it do? How does it play out any videos that show or demo the product or has the client speaking in some way? I have a lot of authors that want to be on television or want a speaking engagement do they show that off? Like, do they have any collateral material that we can use? So you always have to be thinking ahead a little bit in terms of, of getting those results. Mm, mm, fair enough. Um, so talk to me then a little bit, like when you're, when you're talking about those clients that you have, what role do you think that PR plays in them building their business? So I think if it's a product and there's an online website, a lot of people don't know how to get traffic to their website. So if you get on you know, an article in Huffington Post or Fox News or something with a lot of traffic like BuzzFeed, for example, or Forbes, um, you will see the results right away. You, you will see people clicking through the website, buying things, and especially television too. That's a big, big um, kind of like a lot of people at once. Um, but yeah, I mean, you have to always have, like, have the, the way to track the results when you're a product. And if you're a person, um, I see my clients grow in many different ways. One of my authors was just selected to be the voice on Alexa. So she's a relationship ah. coach and she, and you ask her a question about love and it's her voice. And, you know, she's presented as April Kirkwood. And that was something that came out of an interview that I got her. And somehow, you know, the woman was connected to Alexa. So you know, it's, it's, it, I've had clients with restaurants or hotels that have been approached by investors. Um, I've had Kickstarter campaigns that have raised a million dollars. I've had, you know, Amazing. everything from fundraising to investments to, oh, and there's Shark Tank reality show. I've gotten one client on there. So there's many different things that can come out of traditional PR, not just, you know, sales, but bigger opportunities. So cool. Um, Kat, I'm just going to go to break. And when we come back, we're going to continue this fascinating conversation with Kat Fleischman. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to grow your business to the next level? Check out SRL Solutions for more information on training, coaching, and lots of resources for building your business sustainably and profitably. As a partner who helps you strategize and plan, Sarah Roach-Lewis helps you turn your vision into reality. She helps you identify the right area of focus at the right time. Visit srl.solutions to find out more and for a free consultation. That's srl.solutions. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Breakthrough with Sarah Roach-Lewis. To reach Sarah or her guest on today's program, please send an email to sarah at srl.solutions. Again, that's sarah at srl.solutions. Now, back to this week's episode of Breakthrough. 
Welcome back to Breakthrough. My name is Sarah Roach Lewis, and I'm here with Catherine Fleischman of Dutel PR. Before we went to break, Catherine was talking to us a little bit about some of the results that she's able to get her clients um, through sort of PR. Catherine, so much of what it sounds like what you do has to be built on relationships. Mm-hmm. It really does. Everything is relationships. So tell me about that. What does it look like to be a remote, you know, working remote, having clients, and then building these relationships with these, you know, big companies um, that BuzzFeed and and Huffington Post and, and, you know, television shows, how do you get in in those particular ways? What does that look like? So a lot of these um, producers and bloggers and editors are very, very busy. So the way to really build a rapport with them is to be their go-to person, to be the person that feeds them the news and really just takes the, the reins and checks in with them. What are you working on? Um, you know, I know Christmas is coming. What Do you have your stocking stuffers you know, picked out already? They don't have time to Google the trendiest, coolest new products and the coolest, you know, people on the market that are leadership experts or whatnot. It's really, 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 really difficult to build a rapport with them if you're not constantly in communication with them and constantly reading what they're writing about and researching their style, their tone, their, their everything. You basically have to stalk them. Um, <laughs> and it's, so it's are you a professional stalker? Yes, I am. <laughs> no, I just, I care. I care about each individual person and you know, whether they're a mom or, you know, I know that they like to send emails in the morning or, you know, they're a night owl. Like you learn little, little things that will help you along the way. I know some reporters that will only call, they'll say, call me, you know, just call me because I don't even have time to, to email you what I need. And if there's a question that one of your clients can't answer, you got to find a way to, to get the answer. It's, it's kind of like just really working really hard to make sure that they get what they need. And that's also another reason why I'm very picky with clients because they have to be available for interviews. They have to be around to answer questions. It's, it's not a one-way street. It's a two-way street. And um, the client needs to be as involved as the reporter. And it's my job to make sure that that communication flows really smoothly. So you are on really in this world of time zones and the amount of speed that is required, do you turn off or are you sort of on all the time? <laughs> That's a great question. So I, I actually used to be a 24-7 nonstop um, machine. <laughs> and I realized that there were two things happening. I was The clients were kind of stepping all over me. One, they would call me at one in the morning and I would pick up. And two, I also didn't feel as respected by the media because um, you have to set boundaries in life. If you don't, you're you're not going to be as respected. Sometimes when you're not available, it actually makes editors want you more. Like I remember I used to travel when I first moved in my, from New York to Miami. I, I told all the editors, I'm gone. I'm not in New York anymore. So every time I would send out a desk side note to meet with them, they would jump on it because they knew I wasn't available. So in a way, I, I make myself turn off at like at least from like six to seven. I finish around that time and then I put the phone in the other room and I you know, watch TV or, or have fun with friends or whatever. But I, I can't, I can't 
I don't feel like I'm giving anyone justice or, you know, the proper a hundred percent. If it's 10 o'clock at night and I'm exhausted, um, I'd rather wait till the morning and really take care of it in the morning because nothing, nothing that pressing is going to happen at midnight. So, so it's really just having to gauge that. And also, you know, LA, I work a lot with LA. I'm actually um, going to be moving up there in the new year. Um, and it's, I'm going to have to get used to the time change, but even in LA, like, I guess 10 o'clock Eastern would be seven o'clock or t- sorry, seven o'clock. I always get the time zones mixed up, but Me too. Seven, o'clock, seven o'clock there is 10 here. So sometimes I, I will, if I know that it's an LA contact, I will stay, you know, stay up and like make sure that that's handled, but that's on a case by case basis. It's not every day that I, stay working until 10 o'clock at night. But if I know it's an LA TV show and I'm waiting for one more confirmation, I'll make the exception. But yeah, it's a lot to manage. So at what point did you make that decision? Because I think, you know, it's interesting how we go from hustle, hustle, hustle. And in those early years, you know, it is a challenge to say no for the first time. So what was it that made you say, I'm going to shift the way I do things? So it came from family and friends that they, they all told me, they were like, you are a total workaholic. You never have time for any of us. And that was a, that was a big eye opener for me because sometimes you don't see yourself. You just kind of work your way through everything, but you're not looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, am I really happy? Am I really giving myself the attention that I need for myself? And when my friends and family started saying that, I started taking a look at what I was doing wrong or what I, what I could change. Um, I also was at a point in my life where I was, you know, hitting that thirties age timeframe twenties was really all about for me, like building my business working. But then in my thirties, I took a look at how can I make this process easier for myself and more efficient for my clients. And that's when I decided to do a couple things. I got rid of some employees. I, you know, started putting boundaries on my time and little by little, you just learn how to automate yourself a little more um, in the process of, of kind of really filling in to that role after, after some time of, of building the business. It was kind of just maintaining it at that point. Mm, yeah. So it's those different stages, right? The, you know, yeah. the main t- maintenance as compared to. So talk to me a little bit about this. So you have scaled back on your employees and continue to grow your business. Yes. So how how are you doing that? So I'm I'm doing a couple of things. First of all, I without employees in an office, I have no payroll taxes, I have no office, you know, expenditures. And then another thing I did is I cut the small clients that were taking up too much of my time, and that was really the key for me. I started charging way higher retainers, way higher hourly rates, and if the project was too small or the client was too small, I told I would say, look, I'm sorry, because when I started my business, I, I, and I still believe in this, I started it to help the little guys, to help the clients that are such great ideas, but just don't have the manpower, the funds or whatever to grow um, on their own. So I would take those on. But now that I'm, you know, 10 years in the business um, and, and I don't, and I prefer to work on my own and with other PR firms and not necessarily have employees, Um, I had to lower the expenditures and increase the retainer fees. And also when I took on more of the PR firms where it's on a full fledged client, it's kind of like doing one part of the PR and then charging hourly. I was making way more and uh, kind of being more efficient with my time. 
um, with the eight hour days or the 10 hour days, I was just doing more and charging more and spending less <laughs> pretty much. Well, that's what it's all about, right? And yeah. so, you know, I think that what was it like to make that decision to start to say no to people, to look oh at God. your client list and say, I'm not serving these people anymore. It was really hard. Honestly, it was like pulling teeth for me because I'm a big sales girl. I love to pitch new accounts. I love to secure the accounts. It's like, for me, it's like a high. So when I found myself doing the opposite, I was really second guessing myself and saying, is this the right decision? But luckily for me, I have a father who's very, very intelligent on the business side. And he's always been my mentor. And he's like, just give into the process. You'll see the results. Like you'll see that you start having more time to take on better and bigger accounts. And, you know, maybe one day the little guys will be bigger and come back to you, but you have to let that go. And I did. And it served me very well. Um, yeah. And my life is a lot more manageable now too. <laughs> Well, and it's so interesting, right? I was having a conversation with a client this morning, and that's exactly the process that we talked about is what is, you know, doing that analysis on your business and how many of your clients are getting you, you know, that, that revenue and what does that look like? Um, it's a really interesting activity to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And PR time is money and if you're putting your time into the wrong resources, you need to reevaluate and, and shift some things along because it's, it's very, very important to see where exactly you're putting your time. Mm -hmm. And do you track your time? Like, do you use a time tracker or, or are you just sort of being aware of, of what accounts you're working on? I'm a big believer in just free flow. Like whatever, whatever works for you, like, I find that I, I think there was a study, I, I just read an article, I think it was BuzzFeed or one of those sites that said that, and it was by a women's leadership coach or, or whatnot. Um, and she commented that when you put a timer on things and you're, you're in the middle of writing a press release, you're in the middle of doing something you really love, you're, you're passionate about, it kind of stops you, it distracts you more than anything. And for me, I just, I have my flow of, of how I work through things and it works really well. And I'm also a big believer that if something's working for you, like don't change it. And for me, for me, it's been great because I've never, I've never felt like I've had to, that, that I've run out of time or that I have to spill into the next day. I always complete my tasks in a timely way. And yes, working from home is definitely a positive for me because I can work from anywhere. Like literally I will go anywhere with my computer and people always make fun of me for that. But when you're a remote worker, you kind of have to because you're, you're remote, you know, so you have to be available for emails and pitching and whatever at all times. So, um, so yeah, I think that, that it's important to really, you know, manage your time well and see like if you're running out of hours, like why is that happening? And kind of, again, go back and shift through the things that you're stuck on or the things that are taking too much time. But I, I don't use any time tracking devices or anything like that. I, I go with the flow. <laughs> well, it sounds like, like you say, it's working really well for you. And I, you know, I think it's just so interesting how for every woman who's achieved seven figures and beyond in their business, part of what I love about this show and my motivation for doing it is 
helping women see that the paths look very different. I have clients who use a time tracker, everything is billable hours and, you know, and it, it's very, um, like it's, it's very, uh, my hands are moving, which people of course can't see. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's very regimented and that works really well for them. And yet, you know, this beautiful flow that you have going on works really well for you. So I think that's really neat, um, that there are so many different paths. So you were about five years into business when you hit, um, the seven figures of that million dollar mark. What was that like for you? (laughs) I honestly couldn't believe it. Like I, I rarely look at my bank account because I, first of all, I, I hate numbers. And second of all, it's not what drives me. And I looked, you know, I looked at my bank account and I was like, oh my God, I've hit seven figures. Like, this is crazy. Um, it came a lot faster than I thought it would. And I think when you're passionate about something and you put your energy into it and you have a positive outlook about things, success will come like really quickly. And as long as you're doing what you love, and I've always believed that and all of my mentors, my interns, the people I surround myself with are a hundred percent on the same page. So, um, I was really proud of myself and I also kind of, besides giving myself a pat on the back, I I kind of said, you know what I need, like now I can relax a little bit, (laughs) you know, like now I can just maintain it's working. Like I'm doing a good job. My clients are happy and just keep going in that direction and everything's going to be great. So it was nice. It's, it's really lovely. And you know, at the end of the day, less than 2% of women owned businesses achieve seven figures in their business. So yeah. So congratulations. Um, it's, it's a really neat place to be and it is, unusual in that way. Um, So we don't often stop to kind of reflect on that. What are things that when you think about that, that you do differently now than when you started out? And what are some of those things that you do that are just tried and true from the very beginning, you just still do it the same way? So things I do differently, I would say um, the way I write, like the way I write my press releases, the way I write my articles, um, they're not as lengthy and they're people these days just don't have time. So I really try to keep them short and sweet and get to the point with all of my pitches. Um, and, and less and less people publicists are actually using press releases. They're using more pitches than press releases, which is interesting. So that has shifted for me also including more links to videos, pictures, more multi, you know, not just words on a page, but kind of making it interesting um, tried and true is the way that I, um, use my resources for pulling, um, media lists has, has always been the same. Like whether it's using certain keywords or, you know, certain, um, demographics or location, I'm pretty on point with that. Um, I've never had a pitch out that didn't have some sort of great response. So I've never changed that. That has always been the same, but mm-hmm. definitely the right and the way that I, you know, pitch is, is different. Well, our attention spans have just gotten a lot shorter in the last 10 years, haven't they? Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And I also just think it's so interesting, not only have our attention spans gotten shorter, but how we consume information is so different. If I think back 10 years ago, I wasn't really interested in watching videos. And that's something that as I, you know, I sort of see with myself, even that that's something that's really changed. So it's, how do you stay on top, top 
of these trends that um, seem to shift second by second, really. Reading. I, I'm a huge, I, I'm, I collect paperback books. I mean, I read, like traditionally, I read as much as possible. And I scour the internet for trends. I scour the, like I said, I stalk the reporters to see, because a lot of the reporters know about the trends before us. So they're putting it on their Twitter. They're putting it on their Instagram. Um, they're leading the way as should we as publicists. And I, I'm always reading. Reading is something that my grandfather taught me when I was young and I never let that go. As much as, you know, people say they hate to read, I love to read. Like I, as a little girl, I would be under the covers, under the bed hiding because I was reading a book and that has not changed. And that's why I love what I do also. It's a lot of reading. <laughs> that's amazing. So, you know, you had said um, when we were talking about the money piece about what drives you. And um, I'm just going to lead us to break, but I want to give you a moment to think about that while we go to commercial in terms of, you know, what is it that drives you? What is it that inspires you to get up every day and do this? So with that, I'm going to give you a minute. And uh, this is Sarah Roach-Lewis, and we're, we'll be back in a few minutes with Breakthrough. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to grow your business to the next level? Check out SRL Solutions for more information on training, coaching, and lots of resources for building your business sustainably and profitably. As a partner who helps you strategize and plan, Sarah Roach-Lewis helps you turn your vision into reality. She helps you identify the right area of focus at the right time. Visit srl.solutions to find out more and for a free consultation. That's srl.solutions. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Breakthrough with Sarah Roach-Lewis. To reach Sarah or her guest on today's program, please send an email to sarah at srl.solutions. Again, that's sarah at srl.solutions. Now, back to this week's episode of Breakthrough. Welcome back to Breakthrough. My name is Sarah Roach-Lewis, and I'm here with Kat Fleischman. Um, Before we went to break, I had just asked Kat a little bit about what drives her. So I just want to circle back to that. Yes. So what drives me is when I see a client grow from a tiny little company to something successful, something that they can use for good. A lot of my clients circle around very positive messages, whether it be a leadership coach or a healthy product or um, something that helps moms when they're busy. I have a lot of that. And for me, I'm fascinated by the idea that there are so many little simple solutions to many of life's problems, but people just don't know about them. And I help get that message across. I help women who are suffering with depression to read some of you know my clients' books. I help you know whether it's a mom that you know she doesn't have any time and she needs a, a special backpack to help her with her organization for her kid. Like I have products like that. I have a, a water bottle that keeps drinks hot and cold for thirty four hours. I have you know, tons of interesting people and interesting products and also the people that I work with. And this is something that has shifted for me a lot. 
I've been very selective with whether I buy personally with my clients because a lot of them are female entrepreneurs. A lot of them are, you know, moms or, you know, just relationship coach, whatever they are. And I have to feel like I'm on the same page with them. That's super important for me as a, you know, as a publicist to have that relationship with my client on a deeper level than just a client relationship. Like a lot of my clients call me for personal things. They trust me. They come visit. They, it's, it's wonderful actually. And how long are your relationships with your clients then? Like when someone comes on with you? I've had clients for 10 years. I've had clients from day one that are still clients. Um, on average, I would say since at least since 2015, because that's when I made that big shift um, to, to be more selective. And I really like tailored my client list to fit my lifestyle. And also we talked about the whole increasing the, the budget of the retainer fees and things of that nature. So all of that had to do with, you know, with the length of my clients and how long they've been with me. But I've had clients for, since I started my company, a lot of them. So I'd say like 50, 50. That speaks volumes. So talk to me a little bit. You've, you've mentioned a couple of times, uh, you know, working with women in business. Do you see a difference from that PR perspective around, uh, you know, women in business as compared to how men do business? I think that women in business tend to be more multifaceted in terms of what they do. They, um, we as women are multitaskers. So we, I see a lot of female entrepreneurs working on their own, just one woman shows a lot more than the men. The men I see more within a larger company, CEO of many employees and managing many different things, but kind of like one dimensional in the way that they do things like this is what I do. And this is how I do it. And women are like, what's, you know, what's next? Like what, what else can I be doing to help my business grow and thinking outside of the box? So I see that a lot. And that's why I love working with women too, because I'm the same exact way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I, I really resonated with what you were talking about, one of my friends talks about how exciting it is that there are so many more women in business because it's just that, that diversity of, the problems that we need to solve and the diversity when we have businesses means that more new and different problems are being solved, really. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree completely. So tell me, what is a piece of advice that you have for women listening to this show who really want to hit that seven figure mark in their business? So my best advice would always be to never take no for an answer. Um, when I first started my business, I was told that I wasn't going to be able to do it, that, you know, this is going to last a year and it's never going to happen for you. Um, I have no business experience, so I can't own a business if I have no business experience. Um, but really just facing that no and turning it into a yes is really what I think about every time I come across any sort of challenge in my business. And if you think positive and you think yes, and you think you can do it, you can, because the only person standing in your way is yourself. So I've, I am a true believer in that. And it's, it's really helped me kind of get through a lot of the, the challenges that come with owning a business. So keep your head up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Eh? So 
what does it look like? Like when you hear those no, has your ability to sort of navigate that changed and evolved over the years? Yes, because now when I hear no, I don't go into panic mode as much. I'm pretty used to hearing no at this point because that's just the way the world is. You're not always going to get a yes. But um, it actually inspires me to be more creative and to think of another solution because I believe that every problem has a solution. There's no impossible in my mind, at least in my business. And so far with every challenge that I face, I've, I've had to overcome some kind of adversity or challenge and I've done it. I've done it by just thinking creatively, thinking outside the box and not panicking just because mm. panic is not going to help anything. You're, you just have to stay calm and, and think to yourself that there is another way. So, What is one of those challenges that you faced in your business that you quelled the panic? <laughs> so I hosted the South Beach Mango Festival. It was the first year. Um, and one of the challenges that I saw was there was a woman in a wheelchair and there was no way for her to cut across the, you know, the, the, there was no sidewalk pretty much. So I had to figure out a way to make the South Beach Mango Festival friendly for handicapped people. And, and I did it. I called a company that created a special ramp in the middle of, of the festival, 100 degree weather, and, and I had it built and everything was fine. And, you know, like maybe some people would just let it go. I'm not, I'm not one of those people. I, I believe everyone believe, should have, you know, fair chance to do things, whether they're, you know, women, men, handicapped, not, you know, it's, everyone should be able to enjoy something like a mango festival. And there were multiple challenges with the, with the heat as well. And I had an idea to create like a smoothie bar for everybody, like on the house with the mangoes that they used from, you know, from the different cultures and people loved it. And they were like, this is amazing. Like a way to like think outside the box because, you know, it's a hundred degrees outside of Miami, like creating a smoothie, you know, experience for everyone with, with fresh mangoes and gifting that to everyone was probably what saved the, the whole experience. And, and we had rave reviews instead of people complaining about the heat so much. So it was, it was really awesome to be able to, try something for the first time and not be scared to, to deal with the issues that came along with it. Mm -hmm. What do you tell yourself in that moment to quell that panic that you're able to think clearly and be creative? I just tell myself that if you panic there, what good is going to come out of that? Like what, how will that help you? If you stay calm, it's like fight or flight. Like if you stay calm, you're going to think of a solution and you're, you know, you're going to be able to move fluidly throughout. Also, as human beings, psychologically, you can feel another person's panic. If you see that somebody else is panicking, you're going to panic too. If you see that that person is confident, it's going to be fine. I got this. Then you start to relax yourself and not, and not worry so much about, we're, we're very susceptible to each other's emotions. I feel as, as being in PR and being in the public eye a lot, I feel that. So the best thing you could do is just flow right through it and get past it and come up with a solution because people can feel your panic. <laughs> it's true. What keeps you up at night, Kat? I sleep really well, actually. <laughs> I, um, at this point, I think it's more, I have my career in order. I just, you know, in the love department, I would like to 
attract the right person for me. Um, I think I spent so much of my 20s building my business that I didn't take any time to, to think about what kind of person I want in my life as a life partner. And that's something that now I, in my 30s, I'm starting to, to really explore and, and meet people and see what happens. <laughs> Amazing, eh? Just, um, you know, having that moment to stop and say, okay, now I need to focus on something else. <laughs> what is yeah, your... I mean, my... No, go ahead. No, my, my PR firm will always be my baby, but now it's time for <laughs> the next part of my family journey. <laughs> so what is on the horizon for you? Um, what are you focusing on next, both um, your bold vision for Catherine and Do Tell PR? So I'm proud to announce that I will be moving to L.A., um, Hollywood is an area I have not explored at all. I've explored New York. I've explored Miami. I've been here for a decade and now it's time to do LA. So I will be moving in either January or February of next year, my 35th birthday. And we will have, um, obviously I'll be there and I'll have representation there for my clients and be checking out all there is to offer in California, everything from the explosion of CBD products to, up and coming musical artists and film, all the things that inspire me, um, maybe some sports, some celebrities, we'll see. But I kind of want a new direction for, for where I'm going and see what's out there for me on the West Coast. Amazing. And so what inspired that decision? Well, I'm a big family person, so it's hard for me to leave my family, but my sister just moved out there and she's getting married in February. So that's one of the big reasons that I'm going to be joining her on the West Coast. And then also, um, I feel like I know everybody here. I feel like the Miami market, like Kat from Dutel, everyone knows me. I've done Miami Swim Week 10 years in a row. I've done Miami Fashion Week 10 years in a row. And... Um, I just, I spent a month out there and I loved the vibe. You know, it's all about the pockets of people that you find. And, um, I actually recently went to Burning Man and absolutely loved it. And I went this past year and met some people that were just kind of on a higher vibration, you know, very health conscious and, you know, doing great things in their businesses, a lot of tech startups. And so I got, I became very curious about it and I felt that, you know, I'm in my thirties I've done Miami for 10 years and the weather in LA is amazing. The people that I've found in LA are amazing and you are what you create. So I'm excited for the next chapter. And so what does that look like? Do you um, want to, you've talked a lot about your business is, is at a place where you're really happy with it. Do you see this as wanting to grow your business by moving or is this really looking at that next level and what that lifestyle looks like? Both, both. When I spent my time in LA, I, there were many new business opportunities for me out there. When you're, when you're in a city and you're the main force behind the, your sales and the, the business that you bring in, it really matters where you are. And because I know everybody in Miami, it's kind of like I felt like, you know, I already have all the clients I can have here because I know everybody. And I've lived in two different parts of Miami Beach and Aventura. So I had the moms, I have the, you know, the single people, I have, I have all kinds of different people. And um, now it's just more about, I think, not just the work, but the lifestyle. You know, the fact that you could surf at 7am before work and, 
you know, go on a hike on the weekends for me, that's important. And showing self-love is, is really, really important to me. And something that, you know, when I was in New York, it was all about hustle bustle and I'm in my twenties and the city of dreams. And then I came back to Miami family. I got to know this area more. And now it's like part three where it's like, I want a different type of lifestyle and I want to see I kind of need like a breath of fresh air, new clients, new people, a new lifestyle, mountains. I mean, it Miami and LA are very different because Miami's flat, it's you know, smaller. I feel like LA is a bigger city and has a lot to offer. So I'm excited about it. So what will you take in terms of all of the things that you've learned and built along the way to this new opportunity? Because really in many ways I mean, you're certainly not starting over by any stretch, but when you think about building those relationships and getting new clients, what is it that you envision that you'll take with you from all of these experiences that you've had already? So I'll take with me all of the knowledge that I've, that I've acquired up until this point. Um, I've learned how to run events from start to finish and events could be very taxing there's a lot of opportunity for events in LA and I'll take that knowledge with me. Um, definitely my Miami clients are gems to me because I go to lunch with them. I see them all the time and yes, it'll be hard, but they're going to come visit and they're sad that I'm leaving, but more of a chance for them to explore the West coast. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm going to miss Miami a lot, but I feel like it's the right time for me. So yeah. Well, that is so exciting. Um, as we're starting to kind of wrap up our conversation, I would love to know when you're thinking about, you know, your path, what role has mentorship had in your business? And then how are the ways that you give back in terms of mentoring for other women in business? Yes. So I had... I'd say one or two mentors in New York that really allowed me to grow and do the impossible and start my company because they believed in me, because they helped me. One of them was a makeup and hair artist for some of the top celebrities, including Rihanna and Beyonce. And I still call her my angel because she, I was 24 years old and I'll never forget. I was like, uh, what am I do- like? How am I doing this? Like, I had I just finished my master's in PR. I have my first event to put together, and she's like, "You're gonna, you're gonna, you're not just gonna do it. You're gonna do it well." And she gave me that confidence. She did all of the hair and makeup for all the models for free. Called as many of her contacts as she could. She helped me in so many ways. That I I didn't understand why. And from that moment on, I decided not to be afraid to also mentor younger women. And a lot of my interns, um, when I first started, we were working out of my bedroom for the first year. And we had these little folding chairs and everyone had their Starbucks. And we had the best time though, because I didn't treat them like staff. I treated them like like friends, like, like people that I can mentor. And I think every single one of those girls started their own PR company. And maybe some other person would say, Oh, you know, that's competition or, Oh, you know, why would you want to help them? I've always been a very collaborative person and what you put out there, you get back a hundred percent. So the more I found, I found the more I helped people, the more I was being helped as well. And it's, and, and it was like karma. 
And the more I help people, the more I would, things would come to me. And I, I'm a true believer. You should always mentor people because that's the future of like, you know, who women are. They're, they're going to do great things. And if you have the experience, why should they go through a tough time when you can help with the shortcuts and the advice? And I mean, I wish I would have had more mentorship because I went to a new city and I started a new city. But I'll always also be grateful for my family who has always believed that I can do anything and has, have been really, really, really supportive and in my education and, and, and any of my dreams. So I'd say just be open, stick with family. And even if you have friends that are like family to you, which I have two best friends with the same birthday as me born on the same day. We will celebrate every year together. This will probably be the first year that we don't because of LA, but, but it's, it's a beautiful thing when you have the support, especially of other women, because then you, when you work together, you could feel like you can accomplish anything. Well, on that note, Catherine, I want to say thank you so much for your time here today. You've been inspiring to all of our listeners. And um, before we wrap up, I just want to say thank you to all of the people who helped produce my show, um, including my executive producer, Jesse Jameson, and the production crew at Voice America. Um, I do want to say thank you to you. It's been a real pleasure chatting. And for you ambitious ones, thank you for listening. If you're enjoying this show, I'd love to hear from you. Um, you know, reach out, send me an email, give me suggestions. In the meantime, my name is Sarah Roach-Lewis, and this is Breakthrough. Thank you for tuning in to Breakthrough. Be sure to join Sarah Roach Lewis again with another inspiring interview next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until we speak again, have a great week.